We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Yuck! The Timberwolves lost at home on Monday night to the Orlando Magic by 18 points. An Orlando team that was without their three highest paid players. No Gary Harris, no Jonathan Isaac, no Markel Fultz. So the Magic were starting five players who are all on their first contract in the NBA. Two rookies, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, a second year player, Cole Anthony. And then two sort of underwhelming 22-year-old big guys and Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba. Wolves lost to them. Now, I don't I don't totally want to take away from that group completely. If you saw, you know, if you if you watch the game, that Orlando team looked competent. You know, Wagner and and Anthony in particular, they they played well. You know, we talked about this on the last pod, right? We talked about how Orlando was a losable game. You know, they're they're young, but they seem to be well coached. They they know what they're doing out there. They're a very different level team than I think the Houston's and the Oklahoma City's, the other real teams. We expect to be the cellar dwellers kind of in the tank fest when that happens. Like Orlando's better than them. But but still, like this this was a game at home where if you're the Wolves and are aspiring to be something more than you have been for these past three years, you know, it's a it's a game that you you take care of business. And you know, I can't leave that game with any other sort of like prevailing thought other than the fact that the Wolves kind of felt like the old Wolves tonight. You know, the energy was bad in there from the start. It had that classic Monday game energy. And you know, I've been at Target Center a lot of times <laughs> for a lot of games like that in that arena where I where I felt that. But, you know, those games were in past years. You know, those weren't very good Wolves teams. Those are teams that didn't really have expectations. And if there was an expectation, it might have been that they're a team who comes out flat a lot. You know, with the with the old wolves, you kind of came to expect these type of flat performances. I think the hope with this team this year was that they would be bigger than that. You know, and now it's only one game. You don't put like a fork in this wolves team because they lost one game to the magic. But I think you do take note in some bold lettering that this team is not there yet. I mean, I, I came into Monday's game kind of wary that this result might happen, but another part of me thought that this team was was kind of on the verge of a shift. I think 
if you looked at some of the numbers, there was some statistical reason to believe that the Wolves should kind of start clicking into another gear. I mean, coming into the game, the Wolves ranked 23rd on offense. They're way better than that. And they'd been getting so many of the shots that they wanted. They just hadn't been going in. I mean, entering tonight, the Wolves had only made 33% of their threes in the first five games. And if you take out the 50% from three of the cats shooting, you know, they're, they're under 30% on the year. Normally, like those are bad numbers, but normally that's a recipe for a team that is about to have their numbers turn in their favor, right? Finch talked about it after the last game. It's like blackjack, right? Eventually the numbers sort of turn. The Wolves have better shooters than, than that. They're not a 30% shooting team. But then tonight, they go out and take 51 threes and make 14 of them. That's 27.5%. Take out a catch, shot 50% again. He went four for eight from three, so take that out, and the Wolves shot 23% from deep tonight. I, I do think it was kind of more of the same. Chris Finch said after the game that he thought 30 of the Wolves' 37 missed threes were probably good looks. And I think the coach is kind of feeling a little, you know, stuck right now, expecting the turn, and and it hasn't yet happened. I thought this answer he gave about, you know, how the personnel he has or what personnel he has um, was pretty interesting when he was asked about why these threes just aren't going in for this team. Coach, kind of to, to speak to that, um, I think after tonight, you guys are something like one of 25 from the right corner three and shooting like 25% overall from the corners in general. Can that be attributed to you know, anything besides bad luck, like what you're saying, you guys are getting the good looks and most of them are open. Just why aren't those shots falling? Um, yeah, I mean, 25 corner threes is a lot, um, but and that's just from one corner. So we're, we're getting to the right shots and, you know, we don't have a lot of guys who are going to put their head down and just drive the ball to the hoop. We have guys that can rise up and make some shots and they're just not making them right now. And, I don't, and um, you know, that, that, that'll change you know it'll change but uh, we just gotta keep trying to get to get to the right thing i think this brings up a question we've had many times before when we're talking about the old wolves like straight up does cat need to shoot more i mean i, th- I think back to that 2019 20 season whenever i think about that idea that first rosa's year with saunders where you know cat was surrounded on the perimeter by trevion graham josh Kogi, jared culver you know three guys who went on to be three of the lowest percentage three-point catch and shoot shooters in the league that year we asked Cat about that time and again last, that season of whether or not you know he needed to be quote unquote forcing up more shots. With that logic, kind of that a you know a cat post up through a double team might just be more profitable than a skip pass to even a Jared, you know, a Jared Culver open three, right? Like just felt like Cat needed to shoot more then. But time and again through that season, Cat talked about needing to make the right basketball play, which Technically speaking, you know, when you're getting double teamed like that, the right basketball play is to make the skip pass. Now, honestly, I, I kind of thought we were past this. Like, those wings that used to be Culver, Okogi, and Graham, I mean, it's now Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, and Jade McDaniels in those spots. And it's also, you know, skip passes to D'Angelo Russell instead of Shabazz Napier. Like, that should be a lot better, but Beasley shooting 32% from three, and that's after last game going six of 10 from deep. That's not what he normally does, but it's not good. Edwards is shooting 31% from deep on the year, and McDaniels, even after making one tonight, he's still only shooting 18% from three. Even Delo is only shooting 29% from deep. Those four are combined 
46 of 157 from three this year, which is almost exactly the same rate that Culver and Graham and Akogi and Napier were making a couple years ago. So I think we're again here asking ourselves, like, should Cat be forcing his way to more shots? John Krasinski and I kind of asked him about that after the game tonight, and here was Cat's sort of torn but sort of sticking to his guns answer. Carl, you've rarely been a player who takes 20, 25 shots in a game. Um, do you think with the way that you're shooting right now and the way that your teammates are having, are struggling, do you have to take more or how, how do you approach that part of it? I think that fourth quarter, the guys took great shots. I thought it was great rhythm shots. I thought it was great shots, like spots we know they would hit it every single time, at least 40% of them, you know, and we, we didn't even get them 40 roughly. So, um, 30 at least and get there, I think. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Derek Rose had conversations like this with me before, and I got to, um, I just got to find it in the work. Like I said, you'll find it in the work. Regardless of your shots off, you'll find it in the work. Is your mentality's off, you'll find it in the work. You get the confidence in the work. Um, if you're trying to make a decision on how to play, you'll find it in the work. I, I trust my teammates. I, I wouldn't have passed it like that in the fourth if I did it. They, they were in the perfect spots, perfect shots, just not the perfect result. What do you think about the, the balance over the six games of playmaking versus shooting? You've, you've talked about wanting to be intentional about the playmaking. Do you feel like it has been the right balance that you can lean it into the, the right amount of playmaking? I don't know. Um, I just know that my teammates were open. And I was raised to play the game the right way and uh, share the ship, you know, always said. So um, they were open. Uh, had to make those passes. Even if I thought one on one, I had a chance one on one to dominate or to make a point or something. But, you know, uh, post, you know, right, posted up a lot on the right side. I was getting double team, triple team, uh, double team from the top, triple team came from the bottom, uh, gray and top. And, uh, I just saw the open man from the wing corner, um, just making the right play. Um, it's hard. It's hard to say, you know, oh, you know, maybe you could have shot more, could have uh, been more aggressive. But you're looking for good shots. And if I was able to uh, draw that much that much attention, especially in the fourth, uh, it's hard for me to look back and say, I should have made that play. You know, like I said, I trust my teammates. I see the work they put in. Um, that. that Honestly, if I was in that situation again, I, I'd probably do the same thing. Hit my, the open teammates, let them take the open shot, open threes especially. We're getting wing threes and corner threes and rhythm. It's hard to say, uh, maybe I could have utilized that matchup a little more, maybe go through the double team, you know, shoot the hook, maybe shoot the three more, whatever the case may be. Um, it's hard for me to say that. And it's going to be even when I look at tape tonight, it's going to be hard for me to – Otherwise. So my take on it is that I think back in the day when Cat was surrounded by those Culver shooters, I think he should have been forcing it up more. I think shooting through double teams was actually the smart basketball play, even if it wasn't the quote-unquote right basketball play. I think the shooter quality he had back then was you know justified him forcing it a little bit more. I, I do think it's different, though, now. Like, I think Beasley, Edwards, McDaniels, and D'Lo are more talented shooters. And also, to Finch's point, like, what is the alternative? Do we really want Beasley to put his head down and attack the bucket? 
We want D'Lo to do that. Like, no, that's not those. And those guys can kind of do it. That's not their game, though. Their bread and butter is shooting shots. You know, it's probably like anything. There's probably a compromise to be hit here. I think part one of that compromise is is obvious. You know, Cat's got to shoot it a little bit more at the end of the day. You know, he came into this game third on the team in shots. That's just wrong. That can't happen. I mean, he can't be shooting less than both Ant and D'Lo. But then I think there's a part two to it as well, where Ant does, you know, maybe we don't want Beasley putting his head down, going to the basket. Maybe we don't want D'Lo putting his head down, going to the basket. But we want Ant to do more of that. I think that's part of the, we haven't seen enough of that. That's part of the reason why this Wolves find themselves at 23rd on offense. I mean, Ant has taken 72 to 76 twos this season and 55 threes. Right now, a greater frequency of his shots are coming from three than at the rim. Like, yes, the, the shooters need to hit their shots around cap, but Ant has to get to the bucket more too. You change those two things over the, the next six games that are going to happen. We're able to, kind of compare the first chapter of the season to the second chapter of the season, those two things change. Like <laughs> the Wolves are going to rank a lot higher than 23rd on offense. And at the same time, like the defense is surviving. This was a bad defensive game against the Magic. You know, there are way too many easy looks generated out of pick and roll. I mean, Orlando moved the ball really well and they, I, I don't know, really well. They moved the ball and it led to easy shots. And I think this is the first time that the Wolves really got kind of spliced up in their new scheme. But still, even after that, even after you know one of their six games being a, a bad defensive game where they're getting cut up, like the Wolves still rank third in defensive rating. They're only behind Miami and Utah right now. Now, I, I think opponents are going to hit shots at a higher rate. Again, if we look at the next six games, like the Wolves, the Wolves have gotten some lucky shooting variants there against them through the first six. I mean, even after Orlando just hung 40% on them tonight, like through, you know, through six games now, opponents are still shooting under 30% from three against the Wolves. Like that's going to come up. It just is. But at the same time, like there's room for the Wolves to counteract that a little bit too. There's room in ways to get better on defense. I think they're always not going to be a good rebounding team, but right now they rank dead last in the league the frequency with which an opponent rebounds their own shot. I I don't know where they're going to go to, but right now they're 30th by far. I guess just overall, I feel like I, I sit here with the Wolves at three and three, and you know, this is a disappointing loss, but I look at the bones of this and I think I think the bones are better than I thought they'd be. Like their shot selection is clean. They're hitting up a bunch of threes. Like Finch said, oftentimes pretty clean threes. Only one team in the league is shooting fewer mid-range shots than they are. Like, you know, Dilo's going to get some of those up. But generally speaking, you know, it's kind of Ant is the only other guy who's taken any of those. And even though the rim attacks, we feel like there should be a little bit more. If you just look at the numbers, like, in part because the Wolves play in transition a lot, like, they rank in the top half of the league in rim frequency. So those are good offensive bones. And defensively tonight, I mean, tonight notwithstanding, like, there's reason to believe that this team won't be one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Like they're often very active defensively. And at least for now, they're forcing a lot of turnovers. It's also way better defensive bones than I expected this season. So I think tonight can be a bad loss, but I thought, I still think there's a chance that things could be turning here. 
I thought that would happen tonight. It didn't. But I don't think what happened tonight rules out the possibility that this team is going to shoot better going forward. I don't think tonight rules out the possibility that this team is going to rebound a little better going forward. I don't think it rules out the possibility that they're just going to start getting a better rhythm for each other and kind of start to or continue to figure this out. We're going to take a quick break here and then uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about a couple other specifics from this game. Today's show is brought to you by TickPick. Minnesota Timberwolves basketball is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Wolves tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NBA tickets. If you can find better prices for the same seats on any other ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash Moore. My name, all one word, no spaces today to save $10 on your first order of Wolves tickets. I heard from a handful of fans who use TickPick to purchase their tickets to the Wolves opener after hearing about it on the pod, and they found the experience to be both easier and more affordable than previous ticket sites they had been using. The Wolves do play seven of their first eight games at Target Center, and TickPick has you covered for all of those games. It was a blast to see fans at the opener matching the Wolves' energy on the floor on Wednesday night, and I look forward to more of that to come. Again, visit TickPick.com slash Moore. My name, all one word, no spaces today, to save $10 on your first order of Wolves tickets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back talking about tonight's Timberwolves loss to the Magic. I think we got to do a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, There were injuries for the first time this season. Before tonight, or today, I guess, the Wolves had really been injury-free this season, but apparently Patrick Beverly hurt his calf in Saturday's game against the Nuggets. He kind of been nursing it over the past 48 hours, and it was still sore enough to keep him out of tonight's game. Then in tonight's game, D'Angelo Russell sprained his ankle, which prevented him from playing in the second half. Two point cards down there. And then Nas Reed got his right shoulder really, like, rocked by Mo Bamba. Bamba kind of blindsided him when Nas was rolling to the basket. Nas did play in the second half, but just from my view where I was sitting on the by the Bulls bench, like he's clearly in a lot of pain. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a stinger. I don't know what it was, but something going on with Nas's shoulder. And then Cat was also uh, nursing a jam thumb tonight. He wasn't like wrapped up after the game or anything, so I guess the good news is that the team's best player seems to still be kind of safe from any injury jeopardy or getting shut down in any sort of way. But injuries are here. This is going to come. This always comes to some extent. The Wolves over the past few years have obviously not gotten uh, a good hand dealt to them in terms of injuries. But, you know, we, we don't know. But this is where we start tracking. And I think we start with Beverly, right? Like, I think the natural dot to connect tonight is that the Wolves clearly played their most flat game of the season from an energy energy standpoint. And that was without Beverly. I mean, Beverly doesn't have flat energy nights. I I do think the vibe would have been somewhat different tonight if he had played. But I'll also say more basketball specific related to Beverly is that, you know, we just saw how impactful Beverly has been at the point of attack defensively by seeing and we kind of saw the, the inverse of that tonight by seeing what happened without him. You know, Finch talked after the game about how Orlando was able to kind of split their defensive coverages in half and kind of spray the ball all around the floor from there. It was the first time the Wolves' new, more aggressive set of schemes had sort of been exploited. You know, we know Cat's going to be coming all the way up to the level on these screens or Nas, and that opens up the middle of the floor to some degree, particularly if you're not controlling the point of attack. You know, what Cole Anthony did tonight was exploit that middle area of the floor with pocket passes to the big or just veering his way back into the middle himself with his dribble. And a, a big part of that was not controlling him at the point of attack. We saw something similar to this happen in the New Orleans games too, where, you know, Devontae Graham was able to exploit that same little middle area. He was hitting Valanciunas on those pocket pass rolls and that opened up. But what happened when Beverly checked in in those games was that even if it had been opened up, he closed it back down once he checked into the game for D'Lo. You know, I, I've long said, you've guys heard me say it a million times, is I think Cat gets a little too harsh of a rap for his pick and roll defense over the years because not saying he's great, but I mean, a big factor in this team defensively, specifically related to Cat, is he's played with such poor point of attack defenders over the course of his career. I mean, other than Jimmy Butler. Patrick Beverly is the best point of attack defender Cat has ever played with. And, you know, it's not even close. So I think we knew this 
about Beverly, but what we really saw the counter positive of it tonight was that the Wolves need Beverly in that role. It's just such a difference defensively between him, what Beverly brings defensively, and what D'Lo does. Which brings us to D'Lo. Uh, when D'Lo went out of the game tonight, Twitter definitely like went a flutter with why that was going to be the reason the Wolves were going to win because D'Lo hadn't been shooting well again and whatever, whatever, but that didn't work. Um, I wouldn't say it was that McLaughlin necessarily played bad in D'Lo's place, but I don't think I don't think J-Mac is a one-for-one replacement for D'Lo either. You know, if D'Lo's ankle was bad enough to be ruled out of the second half tonight, he didn't even come back out to the bench or anything. I think it's very possible the Wolves won't have him for Wednesday against the Clippers. So what will that look like? You know, no D'Lo would really change the fabric of the starting lineup and the rotation from there. Obviously, you know, D'Lo's a starter, but he's also been the first sub out so that he can be the first sub back in to lead that second unit when Cat and Ant are resting in the second quarter or the fourth quarter in the second half. You know, that D'Lo being the first sub had been Finch's solution to keeping one of the big three on the floor at all times. And if you're not going to have D'Lo, you need a new plan there. If D'Lo's out, I, I don't know if it's going to be Beverly or J-Mac will start in his place. But either way, you know, there's going to be 48 point guard minutes to split up between the two of them. Maybe Ant will run the show a little bit too. But really, what I'd be most curious to see if there isn't, if D'Lo isn't playing, is whether or not Cat and Ant would then end up being staggered a little bit more too, uh, so as to keep one of those scores on the floor as much as you can. Cat, I just looked it up. Cat has played 89% of his minutes this season next to Ant. No two players on the team have shared the floor more together. It's not even close. You know, one way or the other, you know, no D'Lo is going to lead to a shakeup here. It's going to lead to the starting lineup changing, and it's going to lead, you know, it's going to lead to a big meeting between Finch and his coaching staff of like, all right, we had this idea. We were playing 11 guys deep. Well, what are we going to do now? And then just lastly with Nas, if he's got to be out too, and I mean, that that's going to be a shakeup in the front court. Like, this is just totally going off of my eye test of what I saw when I was sitting there. But I don't know. I got a bad vibe from Nas on the bench with his shoulder. I hope it's a stinger, and you know that just kind of cools off. But I don't know. I had one of the feelings that it's it's one of those injuries where you get the MRI and something you know something shows up that is that is a little bit more serious. And that would be you know, not that Nas has had a great start to the season, but not having him would for sure be a bummer. I mean, after a slow start, Nas played really well against Denver and then had a he had a great first half tonight before he had his little crash into Bamba. He had, he had eight points in his first two minutes on the floor. I think if Nas were to miss time, that would be trouble for an all, already small Wolves team. And the next two games are against the Clippers, who go big at center with physical guys. Avica Zubat starts. Isaiah Hartenstein comes in for him. Like Those are two aggressive offensive rebounders. I'd be curious to see what happens if Nas can't play. You know, does Vando become the center when Cat's off the floor? Do we get to see Nathan Knight? I don't know. Neither of those feel like great options against Zubats or Hartenstein. So, you know, knock on wood that all these guys are healthy, but if any of those injuries linger, this depth they've been raving about since training camp is going to, yeah, it's going to be put to the test. So related to Nas, I'm going to make Nas Reed the forgotten star of tonight's game. Uh, brought to you by Forgotten Star Brewery. Again, Nas was really rolling tonight before the injury. He 
he can't seem to tally any rebounds really, but as far as offensive spark plugs go off the bench for this team, other than Malik Beasley, like Nazas, he's really about all they got in terms of offensive sparks. You know, one one interesting thing we've seen from Finch in these past two games when Nazas played well is that his reward has been to stay in longer and be out there with Cat. You remember last year where we only saw or we didn't see Nas and Cat share the floor at all under Saunders. They played five minutes together the whole first half of the season. But then once Finch did take over in the second half, like the Nas Cat front court was something they went to. And Finch has consistently talked about it's almost like Boy Who Cried Wolf. <laughs> He's talked about, oh, I got to get minutes for Nas and Cat together. Got to do this. Got to do this. And we we rarely see it. And and that's because, to be fair, Finch always drops the caveat of like, we got to figure out how to make that work defensively if those two are going to be on the floor together. Well, tonight it worked. You know, the Magic played both Bamba and Wendell Carter Jr. out there, so you can match them both. You can match Cat and Nas out there together. It's that's kind of at least thus far been the, the key to getting those Nas and Cat minutes. One, Nas is playing well. Two, the opponent has two bigs that you can play them both against. All that said, you know, it's only been eight minutes this season that those two guys have shared the floor over those two games. And in those eight minutes, like very small sample size, like their defensive rating is terrible. It's uh, 175.0 and the offensive rating is 43.8, which is minus 131.2. Small sample sizes you can get, but it does it does kind of highlight the concern that, that you have. And I think you see when you even just watch that time with Kat and Nas on the floor. And that that's the concern of defense. It's even last year it was messy when those two were out there together. But at the same time, I think it's a card that situationally makes sense to play. Like there's a world where that pairing can be pretty potent offensively. It's kind of it kind of reminds me of, you know, Malik Beasley when when this team does get stagnant offensively, it's like that's the guy you're you're going to to try and like catch back up on the game or get hot from three. Nas can be like the discount version of that at the at the power forward position next to Cat. Either way, for tonight, Nas Reed was the forgotten star of this game. It was good to see him catch a rhythm out there over, well, not just tonight, but over the last two games. He, he was off to a rough start to the season. As always, if you're looking for a brewery, check out Forgotten Star Brewery in Fridley. It's almost wintertime and Forgotten Star is going to have curling rinks this winter, I've been told is the most Minnesotan thing ever. But if you do, if you do want to check that out, go to Forgotten Star Brewery. And if you mention my name or the podcast, they'll give you a dollar off of your beers. Uh, and a bit of good news tonight. I did get three of my four prize picks over unders. Correct. I had fallen under 500 on the year. My record was nine and 10 on those picks. And I was needed to go over 500 today. I did. So three and one tonight brings me back over 500. And the one I thought was obvious, and this was, I mean, I'm going to keep doing this one, was Ant keeps being listed at five and a half rebounds per game over under. And he's literally every game gotten six or more rebounds this season. Uh, he slept walk his way there tonight. It wasn't a great game for Ant. It wasn't a lot of energy, but still, for the sixth straight, sixth straight game, Ant had six plus boards. Um, I also... Got the overcorrect on 13 and a half points and three and a half rebounds for Jalen Suggs. I don't think they factored in the hometown game thing. Uh, Suggs was clearly up for the game. I, he did only squeeze out those overs on both of them, but I'll take it. 
The one I really missed, which was kind of an interesting basketball one, was uh, I didn't think Mo Bamba was going to really be able to hang in this game. Not that Mo Bamba played well at all, but I took the under on eight and a half rebounds for Bamba. I, I didn't I didn't think that Bamba would be able to play his full complement of minutes. I thought Cat would play him off the floor or get him in foul trouble. Just basically, this pick was all about Bamba being a really bad matchup for Cat or Cat being a really bad matchup for Bamba. But interestingly, what Orlando ended up doing was putting Wendell Carter Jr. on Cat and kind of hiding Bamba on Vanderbilt. And that cost me the pick. Um, but I also think it's kind of noteworthy going forward, right? Is there's other guys around the league who are bigs who are just kind of these shot blocking fives like Bamba are. And, you know, is that going to kind of be the book that these teams do going forward where maybe they do leave that shot blocking center on Vanderbilt so he can kind of, you know, linger closer to the rim where Vanderbilt is and, you know, put their four on Cat instead. Which, you know, sort of leads me to I'm not trying to take away the power forward starting position from Vanderbilt. I don't think he's or I don't think anyone else has made a case for why they should be starting over him. But it does sort of highlight, right, what the other quote unquote big options bring in terms of spacing that that Vanderbilt doesn't. We saw Vanderbilt take his first couple threes of the season tonight. They didn't they didn't go well like. I'm I'm curious to see if if we do end up at some point seeing the Torian Prince at power forward starting lineup. Um, it's just it's so different from a spacing standpoint. Obviously, you lose Vanderbilt's elite rebounding, but the spacing completely changes if you have Torian Prince in at the four rather than Vanderbilt next to Cat or even Josh Okogie, who isn't a you know isn't a Prince level shooter, but he just has you know he has more. He's a guy who who has experience playing out on the perimeter a little bit more. And if you're playing a Mobamba, you're playing a center like that, you can't, you don't get the benefit of being able to hide them on Vando, who's just kind of lurking in the dunker spot. That probably won't be an issue against the Clippers. I mean, they'll put Zubats on Cat, but maybe, you know, after these two games against the Clippers on the road, you know, we'll we'll see how how teams start matching up with Cat going forward. I thought tonight it was a good chess move by Orlando to uh to put Bamba on Vanderbilt and it fooled me on my pick. I do see that many of you have been signing up um, for prize picks. I appreciate that. A lot of people I think are having fun with it. I mean, a lot of messages and stuff about it. So I think for the people who've tried, they're they're finding out it's real one really easy. Like I've been saying, and it's kind of fun, you know, even for me when I'm just at these games in the corner of my eye, I'm looking, I'm looking at the stat sheet as the games go on and tracking how many rebounds or whatever these, these guys are tallying up. So if you haven't tried Prize Picks yet, download the app, use the promo code Dane, my name, and you get a hundred dollar free sign up bonus. Uh, this pod is now running long, uh, so I'm going to wait to talk about the Wolves' next opponent until tomorrow. Burt Robson will join me Tuesday afternoon. We'll talk about a bunch of different things, but one thing we will talk about is the Wolves playing the Clippers in these next two games, the the final two games of the homestand. I mean, we. <laughs> And in the year we talked about it, seven of the first eight games at home, like got to kind of take care of business three and three right now. These two against the Clippers. I think we're going to we're going to learn something about this Wolves team in these next two games. Like, where are you going? Uh, I'll be breaking down those games when the time comes. But before that, I will be back again to talk to you tomorrow with Britt. You can look for that to post 
uh, some point on Tuesday evening. Until then, thanks again for listening, even after a loss. Still doing these after losses. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Dane. Talk to you later. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.